Let's Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome, everyone. Today joining me is the great Brad Shawkins, and we are recording part two of the Pandemic in Review, a look at lessons unlearned. Welcome, Brad. Hi, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. I'm really looking forward to our session today. And essentially, last time we really discussed, did we learn nothing? And you contextualized for us a lot of the lessons that went unlearned. And of course, you know how difficult it is for us to step up and lead during these times, especially when it requires so much personal adaptation. Today, what I'd like to focus our discussion on is really where do we find ourselves now? We, for all intents and purposes, psychologically almost putting the pandemic uh, behind us and we're trying to move forward, but we're still not navigating this particularly well, or at least in your view, I think we're still making a lot more mistakes. So where is the world right now, according to Brad? Where is the world right now, according to Brad? The world is... If I was to, right now, as in this very day, the world is breathing a sigh of relief that mostly we're not wearing masks anymore, sigh of relief that we are commuting backwards and forwards as we used to. We have no limitation and restriction on how we do things and gatherings and all of these suffocating rules that we've all been experiencing for the past two and a half years. And I say we all because it was global collective. This is something the whole world went through together. Um, so that's just in terms of kind of the collective sigh of relief that that I'm experiencing going on, because it's very current, especially here in, in South Africa. We're a week or so past uh, dropping the restrictions and other countries are in a similar place. The world is also in a space of experimentation. Different countries, different businesses are trying things, different things. Maybe we call them new things. Uh, around workplace returns, around, as we mentioned previously, four-day work weeks. And then I also think the world is largely in its... And again, I might I, I sound like the negative guy when I give this feedback. Well, people say to me, you're so negative, and I go, no, no, I'm realistic. But that's my lens. I think the world is also in, a, in its own comfort zone of delusion that, as I mentioned previously, we've adapted. And I think that the world is, on a positive note, I also think the world is bouncing back. I'm seeing a lot of really positive shifts in terms of mindset. I'm seeing a lot of people who were struggling, legitimately struggling, because their businesses were just not set up to survive, never mind thrive, during COVID restriction and couldn't innovate. There, there were different ways of looking at where businesses were positioned when we went into these lockdowns. Some were really badly positioned and yet managed to innovate. Some were really well positioned and didn't manage to innovate. And so it's interesting to see how people are coming and emerging out of this period of limitation. And on the positive side, I'm enjoying the positive mindset and the enthusiasm of those people who have now been freed up to do what they do. And and there's a, a great renewed energy of the, around that. I think that's great to see. And then there's, as I mention all the time, those that just have not shifted, even though they should have and have not learned anything. And for me, the interesting thing to watch is the dynamic between those who do want to progress, because there is, there's a big uh, sector of humanity who is saying, hold on, 
we can do things better. We can do things differently. And he's pushing for that. And this dynamic for me is fascinating. And it's where I'm doing a lot of my work is trying to assist those who want to move forward and those who want to progress to engage and find connection with those who are resisting. And so the world and humanity is in a very fascinating, it's like a big human experiment right now. We're all lab rats. And if somebody was like what, looking down on this, if this was a, almost a reality show, it would be the most fascinating study of the mindset of human behavior, of psychology, of personality, of human dynamics, of truth and honesty, of lies and dishonesty. And that's, so we're in this big game, it feels like. It's almost like playing Survivor and Jumanji together. Speak to us about some of the dynamics that as a result of obviously these lessons unlearned and how are these really impacting organizational landscape? We've spoken a lot around leadership and obviously that is your lens, but can you give us a little bit more detail around what you are seeing? Sure. If we look at organizational landscape, so if we look at the average and by average are not the outlying businesses because there were, I've got colleagues and clients who were already working in a, call it a hybrid format prior to the world being forced into a hybrid format or into a, first a, a remote format and now hybrid and whatever the dynamics are in between those. If we exclude those and we look at the bulk of the world, because it was the bulk of the world that was working in a, I come to work in the morning dynamic. I travel, I come to the workplace, I engage with my colleagues, I work this hour to that hour. There's a almost an unconscious default back to that. And I say unconscious because it's not being that well considered necessarily. And if we look at the organizational landscape, a couple of things have changed, but are not necessarily being acknowledged as much as they should. One that has changed is clarity and certainty. Now, previously, it was very clear. These were the boundaries. These were the times that I worked. <laughs> this is where I came to do what I came to do. This was the dynamic in the relationship that I had with people. I could literally walk across the room. My performance was measured based largely, largely on, on my being here or my participation was assessed rather by my being here. And I've got a lot of leaders who go, we've got performance measurement criteria. We've got KPIs. And when I have a look at those, they're very fuzzy. They're not clear. And a lot of the time, a lot of the people I work with and I coach, when I say to them, when you're shooting the lights out, do you know how you're being measured? And other than production outputs and sales outputs, they often don't. The shift in the landscape is the biggest shift I'm experiencing is all of these things that were pretty clear and well articulated before we went into lockdown, into a lockdown state are very unclear now. These are the uncertainties that are creating the most anxiety. And these are the dynamics that organizations are trying to resolve, trying to work out, are trying to find solutions for, are trying to find leadership mechanisms for, but are not necessarily listening to the people inside the organizations because what they're saying is not what the organizations ne necessarily want to hear. That is what I'm seeing in the landscape. The, I also want to qualify that when I say these things, generalizing significantly because this is the big theme, there are also organizations, there are also leaders that are doing incredible things. It's just not enough from what I'm seeing. And then I guess that we get called by the organizations who are struggling. So I would be seeing more of the, the negative stuff. But to my pleasure, I've also had the joy of working and getting called in by organizations who don't even know how well they're doing what they're doing. And they're even asking for help, which is fantastic that they're doing good things. They're leading well. 
they're making the adjustments, yet they're still saying, hey, we need some specialist attention here. Come and have a look and give us some guidance. Something else that I'm noticing in the organizational landscape is a reorganizing of the way that we connect. And when I say a reorganizing of the way that we connect, there is a one organization that I've been working with in the financial services sector. They created something recently, which is an experiment. And it's something that is proving very difficult. They've got an eyes up, eyes down policy. What they've said is anything that you need your eyes up for, which involves connecting with other people, they're inviting uh, the people in the organization to come in and do eyes up, connect eyes up. And they're saying, even if it's something you can do in a Teams call, they're inviting their, or in an online call, they're inviting people in the organization to come in, into the, the business. They've changed a lot of their workspace from desks and hot desks to meeting spaces. Some are communal, some are private, depending on the nature of the eyes up engagement you need to have. Then they've said anything that is eyes down, as in you don't need to engage with other people, don't come to the office. Don't need to work at the office if it's eyes down. Choose where you work. And they've even gone as far as to purchase co-working space from various co-working organizations that are closer to home. For those people who said to them, but I really want to come to the office. I need to get out of the house. They've created a mid-space, and this is happening more and more, the advent of the co-working environment that doesn't require hours of travel every day. So now in this organizational landscape dynamic, you've got work from home, you've got work from somewhere in between that suits you, even if it's a coffee shop, if you don't need to come to the office and be very discerning about what you do need to come to the office for, but come for that stuff. And this is becoming a really interesting dynamic. Self-led, self-managed, you decide how much connection you need to make. But we are expecting you to make connection, but you decide. And then what they've done is, is they've said to leaders, lead this, educate, help people understand what is important eyes up, what's important eyes down. And this is the balance between productivity, because a feedback comment that was coming from a lot of people in these dynamics was, as soon as I come to the office, I get no work done because even my eyes down stuff is interrupted and disrupted. I get no focus time. And this for me is a really good conversation for organizations to be, to be having and to be happening more frequently. What's eyes up? What's eyes down? And how can we organize our calendars around this for optimized connection and optimized productivity? I think that's really a good way to look at it. Nice use of choice and definition. And I'm just reflecting as you're speaking about six or seven years ago, walking to one of my big banking clients at the time and it was just they had remodeled all their office spaces based on building collaboration and the latest thinking at that time I think everybody was trying to copy Google and the way their offices were set up and I remember walking through and it was just the biggest maze and noise and I kept thinking this is great for teamwork or collaboration or anything that you're needing to discuss something with but you can't possibly get any meaningful work done in an environment like that. So it's very interesting to see now post-pandemic, we've almost realized a lot of that and and are, we're mentally starting to separate the type of work that we're needing to do and create the environments in which to do that work the best. Yeah, and I think it's it's really interesting when we think about, I, I'm an ex-architect. My, my previous career, I ran my architecture practice for about 16 years and it feels like a million years ago because I've been in this space now working with leaders 
around their mindsets and strategies and culture for almost 18 years. But I used to design a lot of office spaces and that was around the world. And it's quite interesting how, if I think about what we used to focus on when we designed office space, I had a little bit of a lens on human dynamic and the way we use space. And But I have to admit, my focus was on how much can I fit in? Because that was often the brief is we need to get as many people in here as possible. And how can I make it look as sexy as possible? I wasn't thinking as much as I should have been now that I have a very different lens and a very different level of empathy for the human dynamic. I definitely wasn't thinking as much about connection, about functional creative dynamics, about something I've learned about or wrote about, which was unintentional collisions. I can't remember where I read it, but in my research for when I was researching for the book that I wrote, one of the organizations spoke about deliberately creating unintentional collisions, those water cooler moments or the, the dynamic about walking across space and forcing that people will bump into each other and have certain types of conversations. Spaces for creativity, spaces for collaboration and different types of collaboration. Now, the reinvention of office space. Obviously, we have in our city hubs lots of unused office buildings at the moment because the density of people returning back to work is not in line with the volume of space that's available. And it's fascinating to see how there is a reimagination of the use of space. Two contexts. One, there's a reuse of space in terms of converting some office space to mixed use space. So big buildings, potentially having a third of those building, buildings become loft apartments or co-working spaces coupled with corporate head offices. Now that's an old mindset that some of the best cities in the world have been doing for years is mixed use space, having people living, shopping, ground floor, working mid floor, living top floor. I think we're gonna see more of that. It's complicated, it's expensive, but it's probably the way to go. And then obviously the reimagining of the internal space. What are we doing with those workspaces? How are we creating these eyes up, eyes down dynamics? And then also how are we learning to manage the distinction between our calendars? You know, it takes a lot of thinking and planning and a different skill set to coordinate your office time with someone else's and their lifestyles. We're going to have to become more considerate and more empathetic towards each other's personal lives in order to create that our calendars can intersect in eyes up time. And then to coordinate that the space is available for us to be doing that. So a little bit of rethinking of the ways of working, the ways of connecting in terms of use of time, and then the ways of using space functionally and effectively. And there's something else. We did a, a project, it was actually before COVID, but it's something I've been recommending highly to a lot of my clients now that they're moving back to office space. There's this mindset around when we do brainstorming sessions, when we do creativity and ideation sessions, they happen in innovation space, spaces, in little meeting rooms behind closed doors. What you're doing there is you're getting a limited participation. The people who were invited in are able to participate in the conversation. We recommend it to a client to actually create one of their open spaces or two of their open spaces actually next to a coffee area to make those innovation spaces, to create writable walls and have cool seating. And when you're doing an innovation session, a brainstorming session, to do it there, people are walking past and people, anybody who's walking past is invited to stop and participate, whether you are part of the team, part of that business unit or not, because there's great value in external perspective, external mindset, the surprise 
of someone else's thinking that you didn't even know had a thought on this. They may not even have had a thought on whatever you were doing until they stopped to eavesdrop. Now, when we made this suggestion, the CEO looked at us and he said, but like, how do you just invite anybody to come and participate? And I said, is everything you talk about top secret? And he said, no, not at all. I said, well, then why are you keeping it a secret? And they've fed back to us that they've had such remarkable contributions by not restricting their brainstorming, their innovation, their creativity, just to invitation only. And this is something I'm advising more and more of my clients to do back in this return to work environment. Invite people to walk past and contribute. Yes, there will be some sessions that need to be more secretive, more protected, more of the highly strategic stuff. But most of what goes on in organization is not that. So I'm saying shake it up a little bit. Get out of our old stack mindsets. Open up our thinking to different ways of doing the things that we've done. I think that's key. And I, I love some of the examples that you've given there and some really great practical tips of what we can actually do as we embrace this return to work phase that we're in. But Brad, quickly before we close for today's part, tell us about this employee experience assessment that you have been developing. We spent many years researching what do great organizations to work at obsess about getting right in terms of the human experience, the employee experience. People wake up every morning to engage. I used to say to come to the office, but it's now to engage in the work context. And it's a sad dynamic that many people feed back, and many is the statistic, it's lots, most in fact, that their work experience is not a good one. It's not, a, a, it's not something they enjoy. They wake up with the sensation, the pit of their stomach of what they have to go and do today. So in the research for our book, and I say our because I co-authored it with Andy, my, my previous business partner, who since has immigrated and exited our business, but we interviewed hundreds of organizations around the world to find out what is it that they obsess about getting right in terms of the employee experience? What are the touch points? And we were looking for five, five became seven and seven became 12 key experience touch points. And we, we, we researched them, we wrote about them, we built a model, and it's what we teach into organizations now. And we've been building, we initially built a very intense assessment that took a long time to participate in. And I've decided to re-innovate it. And based on all the learnings we've had, and I'm making it a much easier, quicker to access employee experience around those 12 touch points that I'm going to be putting onto, our, onto again, our website that is under new design will be ready in the next short period. And people will be able to come there and very quickly do a, an assessment to understand what is the experience that I am having in my employment context, in my work context, and also what are the experiences that the people around me are having. And that's a fantastic starting point to know what is going on for people in terms of the things that either switch them on and grow them in the work environment, or switch them off and deplete them, shut them down. Because the success of a business is based on how switched on the people in that business are, how energized, how engaged, how much of the discretionary effort do they want to give, and how much are they learning and growing. That is where success and sustainability ultimately lives, in a world where we're trying to relevance ourselves as much as possible. Right, that sounds really exciting, and we're looking forward when that's coming out. And just for our listeners, you are listening to Brad. He is CEO of Still Human, joining us to really look at this pandemic and the lessons that have gone unlearned. But thank you, Brad. Your insights have been great today. Looking forward to our next part. Thank you, Karen. 